title of our lesson this morning, What's Missing? That's taken from 1 Samuel, and uh, we'll be taking uh, James read for us verses 24 through the second chapter and verse 2, and I'm going to kind of back up and lay the groundwork uh, for those verses because the part that he read is kind of coming in on the tail end of the story there when it talks about Hannah and when it talks about that son that is born, that child, which happens to be Samuel. And then she gives thanks for him in the in, in chapter 2 and verse 2 there. So I'm going to hang on for just a minute and uh, I'll give you this introduction slide and then I'll give you the points because there's a couple things I want to say before we get to the three points of the lesson. So as you think about 1 Samuel, and we've been studying this on Wednesday night and we kind of keep this overview in mind and you think about what's missing. And then Israel needs to understand what's missing in their lives. And if we think about that and along those lines, then we come to understand this story that is recorded for us at the opening chapter of 1 Samuel. Why did the Holy Spirit put that story there? As you take a look at 1 Samuel and the events that are contained there in the book of 1 Samuel, they actually stretch out over a period of about 110 years. And it takes us in Israel's history from a point in time referred to as the judges to the next phase in their history known as the kings or that time period referred to as the United Kingdom. During that period of time, during that transition period of time, there is going to be a very influential character that is born during that time, and his name is Samuel. And in chapter 1, it kind of records that story and how he comes on the scene, so to speak. And Samuel will grow up, and he will serve as a priest. He will serve as a prophet. He will serve as a judge. And then he will also be the one who will anoint the first king over Israel, whose name is Saul. At the point in time when Israel comes to Samuel and they say that they want a king, Samuel is not in favor of that. But God tells him, Samuel, you go ahead and give the people what they're asking for. Because they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me as being king over them. So Samuel is led to anoint Saul. And at first, Saul seems to be just exactly what the people are looking for. He's tall and he's good looking and they think we have really found ourselves a king. And they had. But the problem was, Saul did not have a very good character. Character matters in leadership. And Israel will come to find out why character matters. But after Saul dies, David will be appointed king. But David, even though he is a great king, eventually his character flaws will come to be seen. And it leads to all kinds of problems for him, for his family, and for the nation. And then one of David's sons, Solomon, will come to the throne. And Solomon, as we most well know, is one of the wisest men to ever live. But Solomon has character flaws. 
And so what you see repeated over and over again is that men coming to the throne to lead Israel have weaknesses and it leads to problems. And each and every time you examine one of these character studies in the scriptures, you have to ask yourself, what's missing? Why is it that it always leads to failure when these men lead God's people? So Samuel, 1 Samuel, is a critical period in Israel's history. It's a critical period for this nation as it transitions from being guided by judges to being ruled over by a king and a central form of government. But it's also a critical period for the development of God's people spiritually as you study 1 Samuel. So as you study the history of Israel, you will see they will have highs and they will have lows. They will have prosperity and then they will have downfalls. The trajectory generally is that in downward trajectory. And you have to ask yourself, why? Because God had given them everything they needed. They had great potential. God had intended for Israel to be a shining star and a light to the other nations. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why were they unable to live up to their potential? What's missing? And the answer to their struggles is found in the early chapters of the book of Samuel. So this is what I want us to examine. As you think about Israel, as you think about this point in time, as you think about Samuel coming on the scene, as you think about the Holy Spirit preserving this story for us, what we need to see, our troubles belong to God. Our prayers matter to God. And salvation comes from God. And let me add this before we get to that first point. When I talk about salvation in this particular setting, we oftentimes think about eternal salvation, but what we need to think about is salvation here and now. What was it that was going to deliver these people here and now? What was it that was going to deliver Hannah here and now? What part is missing that they need to have in their lives? And so we have to keep that in mind as we think about the book of first same. First of all, our troubles belong to God. I'm not going to take the time to read this. I hope you'll read it. If you back up in the first chapter in verses 1 through 8, this is really the beginning of the story for Samuel. There was a man by the name of Elkanah. He has two wives. One is named Hannah, and the other one is Peninnah. Now one of these wives had children, Peninnah, and the other one did not, which is Hannah. And I think it's reasonable to assume that Elkanah probably married Hannah first. Because in that day and time, one of the things that would be very desirable for a family or for a man is to have offspring. And a woman would be looked down upon. 
if she was unable to give her husband children. And so, Elkanah probably then married Peninnah. Peninnah has children. Now here's where the real rub starts to come in. We are told that each year they would go to Shiloh and they would offer sacrifice at the tabernacle to the Lord. But each and every time, each and every year as they went to Shiloh to offer sacrifice, Peninnah would torment poor Hannah because she had no children. And as you read there in that first chapter that each year that whenever they would go, Elkanah would give portions to Peninnah and to her children and then he would give a choice portion or a double portion it says to Hannah. But Peninnah would torment her and Hannah would cry. Think about that for just a moment. Let's try to give a modern day application spin to that. Each year, they're going to Shiloh to offer sacrifice. They're going, as we just sang a few minutes ago, thank you, Lord, right? (laughs) Everything you have done for us. Modern day translation, this family is going to church. But every time they go to church, there's one of the members of that family that is absolutely miserable. (laughs) You ever been there? I hope it wasn't during one of my lessons. (laughs) We ought to be gathering together and we ought to be encouraged, right? But here's Hannah and she's miserable. And a part of the source of that is Peninnah. And she's tormenting her. Because she doesn't have any children. To imagine that that kind of thing would happen at church. Look at me. And look at the way I've been blessed by God. And look at you. In the way you have not been blessed by God. <laughs> and so there's something that strikes us about that, and it's like, that's just not right. But here's the important part here's a nation. This is during the period of Judges, there is a lot of turmoil going on in this nation at this time. Every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. But as this book begins, it goes from a nation to a village. From a village to a family. From a family to one member of that family. And that's Hannah. And she doesn't have any children. And it's telling us about the turmoil 
that's going on in her life at this time. And we have to ask ourselves, why did the Holy Spirit preserve that story for us? Now I want to give you an illustration. You ever heard of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow? Famous American poet. It was December of 1863 when Henry received a telegram at his home in Cambridge, Massachusetts. His oldest son had been wounded. Earlier that same year, his oldest son had joined the military. This is 1863, so you know what's going on. It's the Civil War. He receives a telegram. His oldest son has been severely wounded. He is in a hospital in Washington, D.C. So Henry, along with one of his other sons, they get on train and they make a journey to Washington, D.C. When they get there, he is told that his oldest son is probably going to survive. But there's a real good chance he may be paralyzed for life. If he does recover, it will take months and months and months for him to recover. Henry lost his wife two years earlier. Henry has six children. The oldest is now lying in a bed with the real possibility that he may be paralyzed for life. He has these other kids to take care of and no wife. So as he ponders his situation this December of 1863, it's just before Christmas. And outside, he hears carolers singing. And this is what he hears. A song that says, Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And he ponders his situation. And then he penned a poem that we know as Christmas bells. And this is part of the words. He said, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. Wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. A couple of lines down, he penned these words. In despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. <laughs> you ever been there? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. I lost my wife. My son is lying in a hospital bed. The nation is being torn apart by this war. Peace on earth? Where's God? Isn't that what he's saying? And sometimes, that's the way it is in our own life, isn't it? 
you think about all the pain and suffering and things that are going on and you think peace on earth goodwill towards men where's God in the midst of all of this so there's chaos in the country everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes that's the backdrop of this story in 1 Samuel but then the Holy Spirit focuses in on this one individual and so the question is when there is chaos when there is trouble all around you here's the question what are you going to do that's the question See, in verse 5 and 6, if you read it, it's a very interesting statement that is said there. It said that Hannah had no children because the Lord had closed her womb. Doesn't say it once. It says it twice. The reason why Hannah didn't have any children is because the Lord had closed her womb. You know what the Holy Spirit's telling us? Right there? Now you got to kind of think about this for a moment. Hannah's got a husband. Hannah's got a home. Hannah's got a roof over her head. Hannah's got plenty to eat. And they make this journey every year up to Shiloh to worship the Lord. Hannah's got some good things going on in her life. <laughs> but she's got some difficult things going on too. Where did the good things in her life come from? Came from God. Where did the challenges come from? It's not up to me to speculate. The Holy Spirit tells me. The reason why Hannah doesn't have any children is because the Lord closed her womb. That's the end of the story. Not for me to debate or argue about. It tells us. So you know what that says? The blessings and the trials both come from God. So the Lord closing her womb led to her situation. The Lord closing her womb led to this rivalry in her own home. That's what led to her sorrows. So you've got to ask yourself this question. Does God hate Hannah? <laughs> Why is He bringing all this trouble to her? Is He out to get her? And you got to ask yourself, did those questions ever cross Hannah's mind? Why me, Lord? You ever been there? So ask yourself this question. Did God want those questions to cross her mind? 
I think he did. And instead of all of this being a source of despair, this is the truth that Hannah needed to see. You know what she needed to see? God's in control. Hannah, God is in control. This text highlights the fact that God is sovereign. That's that potentate we read about this morning. (laughs) Sovereign over all and over our lives. But we struggle with that. Because troubles at times are horrific. And we have trouble grasping what's going on. (laughs) On Christmas Day, I heard the words, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. When all of this is going on around me, the nation, myself, my family, So we struggle with those things that come into our lives. Death, cancer, financial loss, enemies. And the Bible doesn't deny any of that. Rather, the Bible acknowledges that. There's an old saying that goes like this. It's not what happens to you in life. It's how you respond to it. James chapter 1 and verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and let patience have its perfect result, that you might be made complete, lacking in nothing. What? Wait a minute. Troubles have purpose? Yeah. God's working on you. And he's working on me. There's times when pain seems horrific. And there's suffering and there's sickness and there's evil in this world. But what we have to keep in mind is that whenever that happens, it's not because God has been defeated nor has his plans been derailed by Satan. No, it's still under his control. God is still working his plan. And you know what? He wants his plan to work in you. Can we see that? And we need to know this. Because if we know this, then we know our suffering is under his control. But you know what else we know? The solution's under his control too. Romans 8 and verse 28, right? Now we know all things work together for good 
for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Things work together for good. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. See, sometimes we forget what the real plan in life is all about. God's desire is to save mankind, but as He saves mankind and works out His plan, He wants that plan to work in you and me. And that we would become like His Son. And sometimes it's through blessings. Sometimes it's through pain and suffering that we are conformed to the image of His Son. So in a story like Hannah's, we're reminded of what? God's in control. And He's not talking about the nation. He's not talking about the village. The family's mentioned. But He's focusing in on this one person. This one woman from the hills of Ephraim. And God is concerned about her. I want you to notice verse 10 and verse 11. It says, And she greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy maidservant, and remember me, and not forget thy maidservant, but will give thy maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come upon his head. So in her desperate situation, what's Hannah do? She takes her problem to the Lord. She recognizes him. As the one that is the solution to her problem. But stop right there. Somebody might ask us, who's in control? We say, God. Who's in control of everything? God. Who's in control of the world? Who's in control of the nation? Who's in control of your life? God. But let me tell you something. That's got to be more than head knowledge. That's got to be fleshed out in our everyday lives. Every morning, I'll give you a little insight to my prayer life, okay? Very quick. Every morning when that alarm goes off, I always try to remember. And one of the first things I say is, Lord, I need your help today. <laughs> but I thought about that. And I thought, I wonder how the Lord responds to that. <laughs> Every day is like, you need to get a new prayer. <laughs> Every day, Lord, I need your help today. 
You know what I think the Lord says? <laughs> I don't hear this verbally, okay? I don't want you to think I've lost it. <laughs> I think what he says is, well, I need your help today. Think he says that? Amen. Yeah, I need your help today. So God brought these things to Hannah's life. Hannah, I need your response. In your everyday life, you've come to me. You know I have the answers, the solution. I need you to flesh it out, Hannah. So he brings these trials, challenges to her life. Hannah, how are you going to respond? I think that's interesting. This story is preserved, not just for that nation. We read her story. Her story, Hannah's story, is preserved for centuries and generation after generation. And as long as the world shall stand, this story will be there to be read. Hannah understood. Israel needed to understand. Our troubles belong to the Lord. He's in control. But secondly, our prayers matter to God. So in 1 Samuel, the first, uh, 1 Samuel, the first chapter, in verses 10 and 11, Hannah calls upon the Lord. Now, this is taking place at Shiloh, and Eli the priest sees her, and she's moving her lips. And at first he questions her and her condition. <laughs> but in verse 15... She tells Eli in deep anguish. Some translations say in discouragement. I was pouring out my soul. I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Now something else that's interesting there. Because if you look at your English translation, what it says is L capital, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Lord. That's the covenant name for the Lord. And Hannah calls upon the Lord, the covenant God. You know what she's saying? Lord, we're in a covenant. I'm yours and you're mine. We're in a covenant. You ever heard of a marriage covenant? <laughs> yeah, we have. And two people stand before God and before witnesses and they say, I'm yours and you're mine. That's a marriage covenant. And so she calls upon the Lord. Lord of hopes. Lord of heaven's armies. She calls upon 
That word Lord there is also used in Exodus, the 20th chapter and verse 2, when God originally made a covenant with Israel. And he says, I am the Lord, your God. And when he says your, it's in the singular. So he's addressing individuals. I am the God of Moses. I'm the God of Aaron. I'm the God of Miriam. I'm your God. So when Hannah uses that phrase, she is using it correctly. We are in a covenant with our God. And she calls upon him the Lord of hosts. He is mighty. He can answer. He's the one who rules over nations and over villages and families and individuals. And she says in verse 11, If you will look upon my affliction." And remember me. I'm yours, Lord. (laughs) What's she saying? Have you forgotten me? So I'll ask you, you think God forgot her? God didn't forget her. (laughs) He doesn't forget us, does he? (sighs) See, Hannah may not realize it yet. But God's the one that brought her to this point. God's the one that caused her to travel this road to this point in time, to this place, to this fork in the road. The pressure's on. Where are you going to turn, Hannah? And where does she turn? She turns to the Lord. You think the Lord smiled? (laughs) I think he did. You made the right turn, Hannah. And she says that she's pouring out her heart to the Lord. I don't think this is the first time that Hannah has prayed for a son. But now she's pouring out her heart. So I'll ask you, you ever been there? Oh, there's times when we pray for things. But then there's times when we plead for things. There's times. When we beg for things. She's there. So Hannah. God knows you. God knows your circumstances. And you've made the right choice. And she says, will you look down and will you remember me? You know what Hannah is saying? More than just she's asking for a son. She's asking first and foremost, do you remember me? That's what she wants to know. I'm yours, Lord. Are you mine? Have you forgotten me? I want you to read from verse 16, the latter part of verse 16, and I'll read down through verse 18. 1 Samuel chapter 1, the latter part of verse 16. I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, 
May the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. What? Peninnah has tormented her to the point, if you read earlier on, that she cries every time she comes there. She won't eat when she comes there because of all of this. But now she has poured out her heart to the Lord. And Eli questions her about what she's doing. And then he said, may the Lord grant your prayer. And when she leaves, she's happy. She goes, she eats. She's no longer downtrodden. What changed? She have a son? Not yet. But what's she confident of? God. You ever heard that kind of prayer before? Do you remember when that kind of prayer took place in the garden? And when Jesus left, he was resolved. Look at verse 19. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah and Elkanah had relations with Hannah his wife and the Lord remembered her wait a minute what happened to all the torment and confusion chaos and all that's going on at worship and in verse 19 it says the next morning they got up they went they worshipped went home James tells us that whenever we pray, that we are to ask without doubting. You know what that means? That means sometimes God says yes, sometimes He says no, but don't you ever doubt that God hears your prayers. What you need to keep in mind is what he just stated previous to that in James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. Why? Because God is working His plan and He wants His plan to work in you. And so, He may be working on you. <laughs> Just like, I don't think this is the first time Hannah ever asked for a son. But Hannah, I'm working on you. Because I'm also working a bigger plan. I'm working on this nation. So the Lord of hosts, Hannah's resolve hears her. And God is going to remember her and answer her. Hannah's prayer mattered because Hannah mattered to God. Thirdly, our salvation comes from God. I'm going to read verse 20 through 23 now. And it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel saying, Because I've asked him of the Lord. Then the man, Elkanah, went up with his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained 
and nursed her son until she weaned him. She had made a vow that she would give him back to the Lord. But she said, I will do that when he has been weaned. And her husband said, fine. Now think about that for a moment. Peninnah has given her nothing but heartache every year when they go for the yearly sacrifice. She prayed to God. God blessed her with a son. You know where I'd have been the first time I had a chance to go worship? (laughs) I'd have had that son under my arm and I'd have been up there, looky here, you know, in your face. (laughs) But she doesn't do that. She remembers her vow. She remembers where this son came from. And she remembered what she told the Lord. And when he's old enough, I'm going to come up there and I'm going to give him to the Lord that he can stay there forever. She could have gone and been full of self-pride and felt vindicated and boastful. That's not what she does. So in verse 24 through 28. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah flower and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I ask of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. She did. As that boy grows, she won't hold him in her arms. He won't hold her. He's dedicated to the Lord. The sacrifice that she offered there is a costly sacrifice. But it pales in comparison to her giving Samuel. Samuel means heard of the Lord. She was heard by the Lord. And she named him Samuel. Dedicated him to the Lord. So what's the point? Hannah remembered how she prayed and how she pleaded to the Lord and she told Eli, she goes, I I was the one, remember? And God answered her prayer. That was her salvation. Hannah saw how God worked this amazing reversal in her life and he brought vindication where previously there had been shame. And God brought low those who had acted so proud. This is how God works in history. He exalts the humble and He humbles the proud. God is sovereign. He's in control. He's in control of it all. And God wants us to look to Him. And know that He's in control of our troubles and our blessings. 
And he wants us to remain humble and serve him. And so this story is pointing to what was missing in Israel at that time. They were not humbly serving God. Every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. Chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. It says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts the Lord. My horn, which means my strength, is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides thee, nor is there any rock like our God. found her content in the Lord in troubles and in blessings earlier I uh, shared the story with you of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow and his words from that poem Christmas Bells he said in despair I bowed my head There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's not the end of the poem. Because he continued to reflect upon his situation and upon the nation. And then he penned, he penned these words. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right shall prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Sometimes it seems like the whole world is in turmoil, and we wonder who's in control. And sometimes it seems like our enemies are going to prevail. And they mock. But there's a day coming when evil will fail and right will prevail. And in the meantime, I need your help, Lord. And the Lord's saying, I need yours too. Stay with me. Because not only am I working on you, I'm working on a nation. I need you to stay with me. That's what Israel needed to see. God is in control. That's the story of Hannah. Preserved for all time. As an encouragement for them, an encouragement for us. I want to extend the Lord's invitation this morning to any and all that are here. I'm going to tell you once again, God is in control, no matter what your situation in life might be. God is in control. And the only question is, it's not whether He's with you. He is with you. He just wants to know, are you with Him? Well, extend the invitation to any and all that are here. If we can help you become a Christian this day, or if you need to return and make your life right with the Lord. The invitation is yours while together we stand and while we sing.